We're going to continue our study this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you'll find that with me, I think it's on page 596 of the Pew Bible. This happens to me every now and then. And actually this past week it happened to me twice. And that is, I, I had arranged a meeting with people that I have actually never seen before. Have you ever done that? Where you, you needed to meet someone, maybe you got connected with them through a friend or something or, something or other. And you needed to meet with them, but you've actually never seen them before. And so uh, you, you schedule this meeting with them. And uh, it, the conversation usually goes something like this. Well, let's meet Monday at 2 o'clock at the coffee shop. And they say, well, that, that sounds good. Well, how will I know it's you? Like when I get there, how do I know it's you? And then I would usually respond with, well, I'm about 6'4", brown hair, my hair's still brown for the most part, and thin, thinner build, you know, and they say, okay, that sounds good, well, I'll, I'll meet you there, and I'll be looking for you. Well, that type of conversation is similar to what we see in the book of Isaiah. You know, it's that, it's, God is having this, this type of phone conversation with Isaiah, saying, this is what you need to look for. Be on the lookout for this type of king, because it's going to be this type of king that is going to bring in the kingdom of God. He's the one that's going to usher in ultimate and lasting peace. And so here are some qualities you need to pay attention to and really look for if you're going to notice him when he comes. And so your God's telling Isaiah about this king that's coming. And you can imagine Isaiah saying, well, what what do I look for? What what type of person is this? And so God tells him in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. Well, first of all, he's going to be born. A child will be born unto us. In other words, he's going to be born just like you and I are born, uh, which, you know, for, you know, that's really not that unique because you're all sitting here. You were all born. And so just because you were born doesn't make you the Messiah. And so Isaiah is probably thinking, OK, he's going to be born. Uh, he's going to be human. That's that's good to know. But that doesn't necessarily make you the Messiah. Then he says, well, he's not only going to be born unto you. Like, like you and I are born, but he's also going to be a son. A son is going to be given. And what, what is interesting about this passage is that he uses the word for a male child when he says a child will be born to you, but then he says a son will be given. And I think what you're getting here is an allusion to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's still somewhat vague, perhaps, in Isaiah's mind. And so Isaiah is thinking, okay, you have a, a child will be born, a son will be given... And then God says, well, he's also going to be a wonderful counselor. And this wonderful counselor, like I talked about last week, is someone with supernatural plans. Okay, God-sized plans. Now, you may think, well, that's pretty unique, and that is unique. But, you know, to tell you the truth, a lot of people think that Jesus had wonderful plans. That, and they don't necessarily think Jesus is the Messiah. They don't look to Him as their Savior. But they think He had wonderful plans, good plans. And people think other people had wonderful plans too. You, know, you think about uh, Muhammad or Buddha or um, Gandhi or other even political leaders. You know, People may look to them and think, you know, they had wonderful plans. They were born. They had wonderful plans. Jesus was born. He had wonderful plans. Uh, but that may not necessarily prompt you to worship him. And so having wonderful plans may be like having brown hair. 
know, when I say, I'll meet you at the coffee shop, I have brown hair. You may think, well, that, that is unique to you. You have brown hair. Not everyone has brown hair. But a lot of people have brown hair. And so how will I really know it's you? And so God continues in his conversation with Isaiah. And he says, not only will he be born unto you, a son will be given. He'll be a wonderful counselor. But he will be the mighty God. Now that narrows it down. That's like saying, I'll meet you at the coffee shop. I have brown hair and I'm nine feet tall. You know, it's like, you're not going to miss me. I mean, you're going to, okay, there's a guy who's brown hair and he's nine feet tall. In other words, there's no one else on the planet nine feet tall. And so when, when God tells Isaiah, this is the kind of king that's coming. He will be born unto you. He's a son. He will be given. He's a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. So now Isaiah is thinking, okay, that narrows it down. This is a unique person. This king is very unique. And so what I want us to consider this morning, I want us to consider what Isaiah means when he says he is the mighty God. This king is the mighty God. And then I want to show you that I believe Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that Jesus is the mighty God. And then I want to show you lastly why you need Jesus to be the mighty God. So first, let's look at that phrase, mighty God, that title, that name, that characteristic, the mighty God. It's two words, and this is what's interesting about this prophecy, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You have these compound names. And so here again, you have the two, the two words in this name, mighty God. And the first word there, mighty, is used all throughout the Old Testament to not only refer to God, but it also could refer to a person, a man, a woman, or an animal. Uh, it just simply means strong or mighty. So nothing extremely unique about that word. But then he uses this word God. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament writers actually use several words to describe God or names of God. For example, you have uh, Yahweh, you have Elohim, you have Adonai. All these words that are used to name God, describe God. But Isaiah uses another name, and that is the word El. Mighty God. El Gabor. El, he uses that word. Now, here's a little Bible study hint for you. And this is something you can kind of tuck away in your Bible study tool belt. And that is, whenever you study the Bible, words are extremely important. And what you need to do is you're looking at a word, for example, if you look at the word L, you want to consider, okay, what is the range of meaning this word has? And so what you do is you look at other places in the scripture that use the same word L, and you try to figure out from the sentence, sentence from the context, what does this word mean? Like I said with the word mighty, it could refer to a mighty person, a mighty man, a mighty animal, mighty God. This word L can refer to many things as well. And so you look at the Old Testament, you look at, okay, how do the other authors use this word? And then what you do is you look at how this author uses the word. So, for example, you take the whole book of Isaiah and you say, how does Isaiah use the word El? Because that's going to help you understand what he's meaning here when he calls this coming king the mighty God. And what you'll find is, when you look at the book of Isaiah... In every single instance, 
Isaiah uses the word El to refer to the divine. Always, without exception. He always uses the word El to refer to the divine. And so when you look at the book of Isaiah, you see that he's referring to this king as the mighty God. So he's talking about this person will be divine. He will not only be a child that is born like you and I, but he will be divine. He will be the mighty God. And I want to just give you two examples. And there are several examples in the book of Isaiah. But I want to give you two examples. The first one you are probably somewhat familiar with, especially this time of year. Uh, We we hear this verse quoted uh, a good bit. Isaiah 7.14. So if you just flip back in your your Bible just a chapter or so over from chapter 9 to 7.14. You read these words. It says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Which means, as we know, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Another example is in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. So if you just flip over another chapter or so, you see another example of this word being used. It says, In that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will be no more, will, will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord the Holy One of Israel, in truth, a remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. It's the same name given to the coming king in Isaiah 9. He is the mighty God. And so when when Isaiah refers to El Gabor, the mighty God, he's saying the coming king, this is one that will obviously be Common in the sense that he will be a man, just like you and I, human, but yet he'll be unique in that he is the mighty God. He will be divine. And so when Isaiah receives this phone call, this conversation, this is who you should be looking for. This is what you should look for. This is the hope of the people of God, the coming one, the coming king. And this is what you and I ought to be looking for as well. So we see the meaning of the mighty God, the phrase, the name. We see that Jesus, is He the mighty God? Is He the one? Let's consider His life. Let's see if Jesus fulfills this prophecy. And I want to give you several examples. The first one is His birth. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It's on page 833 in the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So you see, Matthew sees Jesus' birth as a fulfillment of that passage we read in Isaiah chapter 7. He is God in the flesh. He's God with us. He is Emmanuel. Now second, consider the power that Jesus exhibited in his life, which I believe is testimony to the fact that he is the mighty God. And he fits the coming king description in Isaiah 9. When you consider his power over creation, for example, when he, when he calmed the stormy sea in Matthew 8, when he exhibited, exhibited power over sickness, power over demons, power over death, he clearly possessed divine power which aligns him with the one that was referred to in Isaiah 9 as the mighty God. And so you see this term mighty God means that this coming king is one that's not only human but divine. He has divine power. We see in the life of Jesus, as you read the Gospels, He clearly had this divine power and the ability to not only calm the sea, multiply the bread and the fish, um, heal the diseases of those, leprosy, uh, raise the dead. He clearly displayed divine power in that sense. But this last point, that Jesus, we need Jesus to be the mighty God, goes beyond even those exercises of power because the most significant display of divine power in the life of Jesus is not what he did to heal the sick or the sea calm the sea or his power over the demons or even when he raised Lazarus from the dead that's not the most significant indicator that Jesus is the Messiah even though all of those pointed to that fact the most significant display of divine power in the life of Jesus is his ability to take away the sin of the world. That is the key indicator that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. His ability to take away the sin of the world because our greatest threat is not lack of education or global warming or the economy. That is not our greatest threat. Our greatest threat is sin. And no one is able to deal with sin unless they are the one described in Isaiah 9. He's the one who's coming to deal with sin. And so that's the one we need to look to. And that's, what we, that's the person we need to place our hope in and our trust in is the one who can deal with our sin issue, our sin problem. And this is why the king must be divine. Remember what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. He said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Because you see, sin is our biggest threat. Jesus didn't simply come to turn the water into wine, or to temporarily heal people from disease or paralysis. He didn't come simply to overthrow the governments of men and establish a political force to rule the world. That's not what he simply 
came to do. He came to do more than that. And he even tells us what he came to do. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And the lost are those of us who are still in our sin. That's what it means to be lost, is to be in your sin. So, so what is sin? Sin is life apart from God. Sin is both active and passive rebellion against God and His ways. Sin is the shooting in California. Sin is the pride of racism. Sin is the greed that infiltrates our hearts. Sin is oppression, betrayal, dishonesty. Sin is a failure to do good. Sin is a turning away from God and His ways. And worshiping something other than the God of heaven. And this is our current reality. We are all in sin. We deal with sin. Sin separates us and separates us from God. And now here's the question. And I think this is what we need to wrestle with. Show me a king. Show me a ruler. Show me a leader. Show me a president that can deal with sin. Who is he? Who is she? Where are they? Because see, not one person, not one man, woman, child that has ever stepped foot on this planet has been able to overcome the power of sin. Except one. And that's the one referred to in Isaiah chapter 9. Whoever that one is, he's the one that has been able to deal with sin. He's got the power to deal with sin. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That's what we need. That's the only way sin will be dealt with is if you have God Himself dealing with it. Himself. And He's the one because He has the power to save. He's the mighty God that has broken the shackles of sin and death. And this is the one that Isaiah was to look forward to. And He is the one that we must look to as well. If you want to be freed from the penalty and the bondage of sin, then you need help. And you need the one who can overcome that to help you and, and give you not only forgiveness of sin, but the power to, to worship and please and walk with the Lord. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so the question is that we all need to ask ourselves is, who are we looking to? Who are we looking to to deal with our sin problem? Who can overcome it? Can I overcome it? Can a counselor overcome it? I mean, who, who is going to help me deal with the, the fundamental issue of the heart and my propensity to rebel against God and do my own thing? Well, I mean, who's going to help me deal with that? And Isaiah says, this is the one you need to look for. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, if you've ever read anything about Charles Spurgeon, any of his sermons, you can get several of his sermons uh, that are available to you. He was a late 19th century uh, British preacher. They called him the Prince of Preachers. And you read his sermons, he just had a way with words. And I just want to read to you his explanation as to how Jesus proved Himself to be the mighty God. 
And I just love the way he describes it. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, we know also that Christ proved himself to be the mighty God. From the feet that at last all the sins of all his people were gathered upon his shoulders and he bore them in his own body on the tree. The heart of Christ became like a reservoir in the midst of mountains. All the tributary streams of iniquity, every drop of the sins of his people ran down and gathered into one vast lake, deep as hell and shoreless as eternity. All these met, as it were, in Christ's heart, and yet he endured them all with many a sign of human weakness, but with convincing signs of divine omnipotence. He took on our griefs and carried all our sorrows. The divinity within strengthened his manhood, and though wave after wave rolled over his head till he sank in deep mire where there was no standing and all God's waves and his billows had gone over him, yet did he lift up his head and more than a conqueror at length he put the sins of his people to a public execution? They are dead. They have ceased to be. And if they, if they be sought for, they shall not be found any more forever. Certainly, if this be true, He is the mighty God indeed. But He did more than this. He descended into the grave, and there He slept, fast fettered with the cold chains of death. But the appointed hour arrives. The sunlight of the third day gave the warning, and He snapped the bands of death as if they were but tow, and came forth to life as the Lord of life and glory. His flesh did not see corruption, for he was not able to be held by the bands of death. And who shall be the death of death, the plague of the grave, the destroyer of destruction, but God? Who but immortal life, who but the self-existent, shall trample out the fires of hell? Who but he whose being is eternal, without beginning and without end, shall burst the shackles of the grave? He proved himself then, when he led captivity captive, and crushed death and ground his iron limbs to powder. He proved himself then to be the mighty God. And now the question is, has he proved himself to be the mighty God to you? Is he your Savior? Is he the one that has crushed death, that has crushed the bonds of sin in your life? Have you taken him up on his offer of forgiveness and eternal life? If so, I have good news for you. If you are in Christ, I have good news for you. When you face the impossible, you can hear Jesus say, nothing is impossible with God. If you are in Christ and you are tired, you can hear Jesus say, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're in Christ and you feel like you can't go on, you can hear Jesus say to you, my grace is sufficient for you. If you're in Christ and you just think, I just can't do it, I just cannot live out this life that God wants me to live out, you can hear Jesus tell you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because you see, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, is not only able to save you, but He's able to sustain you.
So is he your mighty God today? Is your faith in the one that God told Isaiah to look for? Because he is the only one who can not only save us from our sin, but sustain us for eternity. Let's pray. God, thank you for that conversation you had with Isaiah several thousand years ago that burst hope, burst forth hope in his heart, I'm sure, in those who heard this prophecy that you were going to bring forth one who could deal with sin, who would bring in a peace that would last, that the government will be on his shoulders and he can sustain it, he can hold it up, and he can preserve it for eternity. God, that's our hope. Our trust is in Him this morning. We thank, we thank You that nothing's impossible for You. We thank You for the rest that You offer those who are in Christ. We thank You for the grace that You give us. It's sufficient for us to get through this life, these trials, these difficulties, even this season of Christmas that may be very difficult for some. Lord, Your grace is sufficient. You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. And we look to Christ now. And ask that you would just help him become clearer in our minds and our hearts. Lord, help our allegiance to be focused on him. And help the things of the world to grow strangely dim. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.